we know you can't get enough of your favorite flavors. Luckily, Kroger Free Pickup makes it easy to grab what you need without any surprise fees. Whether it's extra buns for the barbecue or those chips you just can't quit, start your cart with the Kroger app. Kroger, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply, subject to availability. It's the big $10 sale, so mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. Kevin is a retired United States Army Lieutenant Colonel who has studied UFOs for more than 50 years. His military training has provided him with a unique insight into military operations and UFO research. Kevin has investigated many of the most mysterious cases and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries and been interviewed on hundreds of radio and television programs about UFOs. Considered to be one of the leading experts on the Roswell UFO crash, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs including Roswell in the 21st Century and Encounter in the Desert, a re-examination of the Socorro UFO landing. Now here's the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I am fact, Kevin Randall. Before I get to my guest, I'd like to say that I saw a story online today that they said the mystery of Oak Island has been solved. 
by the Leganus brothers. I mention this only because on this program two years ago, we told you what the solution was. I don't know if their solution agrees with, with mine, but I think uh, Joy Steele pretty well nailed it and everything they found in the last few weeks of the, of the uh, show, Curse of Oak Island, points to the fact that she was absolutely right. I'm going to be joined by David Shindley. He is a retired Air Force officer. I did, in fact, find his bio that I told him just moments ago I didn't have. Uh, he grew up in Seattle, Washington, and attended Washington State University, graduating in 1963 with a degree in physical science. He served five years of active duty in the Air Force and then served the remainder of time in the reserves for a total of 16 years. That was enough time for him to keep his commission and retire without benefits. Uh, he was stationed at Fairchild Air Force Base as a deputy crew commander with the Atlas Missile System in 1965 and three years at Minot Air Force Base uh, with the Minuteman System. I, was, I got confused here because I was thinking, why not Minot? But that's a whole other argument. After active duty, he was employed at Hamilton Standard, which is a division of United Technologies in Connecticut, as a senior ex experimental engineer and project manager for development of Air Force manned orbiting laboratories and Apollo astronaut backpacks. In 1970, he began a 32 career as a data system analyst for two major companies in Seattle, Washington, and retired in 2002. In 2005, he revealed the UFO incidents, which we're going to be talking about today, that he was involved with at Minot in 1966. Uh, he was discovered by Robert Hastings, who wrote the book UFOs and Nukes. And it's a really thick book and filled with lots of stuff. And um, we'll try to get Robert on the program here. I know, I know him very well. And he appeared with Robert Salas at the Citizens Hearing, in, uh, Citizen Hearing on Declosure in 2013. He's married with a combined family of four children, eight grandchildren, two great-grandchildren, David Shindley, welcome to A Different Perspective. Thank you, Kevin, and it's good to be with you. And the book is uh, UFOs That Never Happened, Volume 1, U.S. Air Force UFO Cover-Up Revealed. And I mentioned that because you mentioned to me that you get nothing for the book. You donate all the proceeds to an Air Force charity. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Um, so yeah, I, I prefer prefer to do that because uh, uh, I, I my main goal is to to tell the truth about the UFO situation. And that, I want the word out there, and uh, any profits I get from the book are are donated to the Air Force Association. Well, let's do this. Uh, since we've talked about that, that there was some uh, involvement with. Uh, the missile silos and UFOs back in the Minot area in 1966-1967. What exactly was the UFO sighting that got you involved in, or, or got you interested in UFOs, I guess? Well, as a Deputy Missile Combat Crew Commander on a crew, we went out to a uh, 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 launch control center called November Flight and to relieve a crew that was out there. And that and the evening before, that crew had a, a wild experience where a UFO hovered over the launch facility and took all 10 of their missiles off alert. Uh, we went, my commander and I went to a crew briefing uh, before uh, going to my um, November flight, and they told us that some missiles had 
somehow gone off alert at November flight, and that is all the information we had, except for a morning newscast earlier that, that morning saying that residents of Mohall, North Dakota, had seen strange lights overnight, and the November Launch Control Center was just three miles west of town. So uh, our curiosity was aroused before we got to a November flight. And then when we uh, debriefed the crew downstairs, uh, they told us their wild story. So you're 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 suggesting that you didn't see the UFO; you heard the story on the radio as you drove into work. Yeah, actually, I saw it on a TV broadcast uh, when I was having breakfast. I lived in the town of Minot; I didn't live on base, and uh, so then I I got my things together and went to base to the the crew briefing before uh, my commander and I went out to the launch control center. And, uh, yeah, that's what happened. So um, this is the, the event that Robert Salas was involved in as well. Uh, some, I mean, it was a couple of days later that his flight went off uh, line as well at the uh, same actually, time. Frame? Actually, his happened in March 1967. Mine happened about six months earlier than that in uh, 1966. Um, I don't recall the exact date, but I do remember there was an incident on October 12, 1966, and I happened to mention to my crew commander at the time, and we were on duty, and I says, I wonder if a UFO brought down the, the airplane that crashed in our area. And I know that I mentioned that about two weeks after our incident actually occurred. So I, I'm thinking that my incident happened right toward the middle or end of September 1966. Did did you actually ever see a UFO at, at all around the, the missile sites? I have never seen a UFO. So your uh, experience then is your guys... And I, I guess people don't understand that the, the guys in the uh, silo, there's like two guys down in the crew compartment, uh, two officers who have the responsibility to launch the missiles if you need to go. There's a security force up above of several guys. That's right. And, and then and each of the missile silos has that same arrangement, and they're scattered all over. The actually, they're actually surrounding Minot, there's 15 launch control centers. We call them LCFs, launch control facilities. And each launch control facility is in control of 10 missiles. And each of those 10 missiles are spread 4 to 14 miles away from the launch center. So we are, we are 60 feet below ground under the launch control facility in what we call the launch control center, the LCC. And uh, that is where we went to relieve the, the crew. We had drove to the launch control facility and then took an elevator down 60 feet to the launch control center where the crew down below was monitoring their 10 missiles that were several miles in every direction. Now, this is all set up so that an electromagnetic pulse won't take it out. It's shielded, right? Supposedly that was the idea, but uh, uh, we knew that such a pulse could potentially take our missiles off, off alert. And uh, we, we depended on early warning of uh, any, any missiles uh, heading in our direction so we could take 
take required action. But wouldn't wouldn't uh, the electromagnetic pulse, which would, would screw up all the electronics for those of you who don't understand electromagnetic pulse, um, wouldn't uh, it wouldn't take out all the launch control facilities, would it? I mean, you would have to have multiple detonations to do that, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, um, there was an eight thousand square mile area where where our missiles were located, so it'd take a few uh, detonations to take everything out. But uh, we are aware of the uh, the MP MPF uh, situation, and and uh, but when we relieved the crew downstairs, uh, we discussed the situation. How did our ten missiles? suddenly go off alert by supposedly a UFO hovering over our launch facility. What kind of signal could have could have transferred to all of our 10 missiles? It was a really uh, mysterious situation for us. So this would elevate a UFO sighting to national security. Because, you because if you can take out the, the launch control facility, keep you from launching the missiles, that's nation, a national security incident. Oh yeah, and uh, uh, us us two crews are really well aware of that, and uh, we expected to, uh, to to for people to really be uh, honest to to find out what was going on and why this happened. But uh, as it turned out, all we were told is, as far as you're concerned, it never happened, which is why my book is named that. And we were told to keep our mouth shut. In fact. We were, my commander and I were told that we were never to talk about the incident between us ever again. And that's why I felt guilty on October 12th, which I'll never forget, for mentioning it to my commander that, hey, I wonder if a UFO had something to do with this plane going down. Let me interrupt you here because I've got to take a short break. We'll be back right after this with David Shindley, whose book is UFOs It Never Happened, Volume 1, U.S. Air Force UFO Cover-Up Revealed. I'll have more information up or some links to some additional information on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And as always, take a look at Roswell in the 21st Century because I think it's the finest book on Roswell, but I'm prejudiced on that. We will be back right after this, so please stick around. Patty Conklin grew up in Brooktondale, New York, with a unique ability. Unlike others, she could see how the vibration of words and emotions affected the physical body. She discovered how to release stored emotion and facilitate healing. This began today's Conklin method of cellular cleansing. The private practice grew with tremendous results, as did her reputation. More and more people sought her out, bringing her into the home for healing. She soon realized she could even teach this to others, and they could shift perception and thus prevent illness from occurring. Patty Conklin quickly became a frequent keynote speaker, and she developed a curriculum for teaching the Conklin method of cellular cleansing. For more information, visit pattyconklin.com. P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N, pattyconklin.com, or call 404-474-0086. That's 
Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. It's formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. With David Shindley, we're talking UFOs, we're talking missiles and all that sort of thing. His book is UFOs, It Never Happened, Volume 1, U.S. Air Force UFO Cover-Up Revealed. And I mentioned that again because all the profits go to Air Force charities. He's not going to make anything off the book. And I think it's a wonderful thing that he's donating that money. Uh, when we went away, we were talking a little bit about um, the whole event. And I was trying to figure out because you had said you'd seen nothing. Did you talk to your crew above, uh, the security crew above you about this at all? Did you get a description of what they had seen and that sort of stuff? Well, yes, I did. When when we arrived at the launch control facility and uh, the gate was open for us to go, go in, we parked our car and then uh, my crew commander immediately went into the facility. Normally we inspect the uh, the ground's top side, the antennas and so forth. But he went in to talk to the security guards. I continued my inspection and went into the back door of the facility in the south end of the building. And when I opened the door, I met the uh, site manager, a tech sergeant, and he said, did you hear about uh, what happened overnight? And I says, no, but I heard that people, residents of Mohall, North Dakota, saw strange lights last night. Uh, and he says, well, come with me, and he took me to the day room and to the uh, west-facing windows, and uh, he said, last night this object hovered just beyond the, the, the fence out there, He said, which was probably 80, 100 feet away, and he says it had bright flashing lights, and I says, well, was it a helicopter? And he sort of laughed and said, no. It made no noise whatsoever, but it was just just a bunch of flashing lights, sort of in the silhouette of a disc. And uh, he says uh, a few minutes later, it, uh, 
it went toward the north side of the building and toward the main gate and hovered just uh, outside the main gate and uh, and uh, with a, still with the flashing lights, but uh, part of the object was hidden by the garage, which is just to the right of the gate. And uh, uh, my crew commander was uh, had been talking to the security guards and essentially confirmed the same thing that uh, the tech sergeant t- told me, the site manager. And so that was our description of the incident. Uh, there well, was did no they, did color. He, did he talk about? Did he talk about um, any kind of uh, electrical interference in his facility as opposed to the the missile missile uh, launch facility? I mean, the lights dimming, the lights going out, or anything like that. Did they have any of that kind of uh, experience? He didn't mention that. He didn't mention that. But they had turned the lights off to try to visualize the the object outside the uh, uh, the facility through the windows of the day room. And you were you were going to say there's something about the sequencing of the lights before I jumped in there? Well, I I tried to ask him, you know, what the lights looked like. You know, were they uh, red, green, blinking lights like or lights, uh, blinking yellow light or anything like that, like uh, airplanes or helicopters might have? And he says, no, no, they're they were just bright flashing lights, and he couldn't adequately explain it to me. Uh, and uh, he says that there are lights like he'd never seen before. He now, couldn't really describe it, but he didn't mention any color, uh, the lights. They're just bright flashing lights. Now, these guys are not your typical Air Force enlisted personnel. They're trained guys who are uh, responsible for security of your launch facility, right? Yeah, they go through a lot of training. There, there are six security guards, two crews. Uh, each crew has a it's a crew of three, two crews, and and one of the three is a flight security controller. We call him F, an FSC. And then there was uh, two other people topside, uh, the, the site manager, which I mentioned, and then uh, a cook for the facility. And the, these people would stay for about three days at a time, I believe. And uh, and those were the topside. That was the topside crew. It was, and, you know, it was a security strike team kind of thing. Uh, us launch officers downstairs would be monitoring our 10 missiles, and every once in a while a, a security alarm would go off from one of the missile sites, either an inner security alarm or outer security alarm. Then we'd have to call topside uh, if we couldn't reset the alarm, and they'd have to uh, take their strike team out and investigate the uh, launch facility to see what the problem was. Quite often, you know, it would be a jackrabbit or a mouse or something running across the surface, and that would be the outer security alarm. And sometimes a truck would come by uh, on the road, nearby road, and uh, the inner security alarm would sometimes pick up a rumbling truck going by. So, so the, the, the sensors were very sensitive. Very sensitive, yeah. Um, and so the, so the, the outer security alarm was topside at the missile facility in the uh, inner security was uh, underground. So the, the the guys who are topside, the, the security people for you, are not just uh, assigned like an extra duty. They go through specific training for this sort of a job. Oh, you bet. So what, uh, what I'm getting at training. is what I'm getting at is they wouldn't be prone to hallucinations. They wouldn't be prone to. Um, 
being hysterical about seeing something in the distance. They were competent people. Yeah, they they were. Uh, let's see, the uh, vice security controller would normally be a sergeant. The uh, the other two people would be uh, you know airmen, first class or second class. But uh, they were well trained. I mean, several months of training, and they were well armed, and they knew they knew how to do their job. So, um, after this event took place, and after I guess after you went off duty, uh, was there any kind of debriefing for everybody? Did everybody get together to talk about it? What happened then? Well, my commander and I were relieved by another crew the next morning, and. Uh, we went topside, and I wanted to question the flight security controller uh, additionally, topside, you know, face-to-face, and it was as to what really had happened the night before. And uh, he said, sir, I, I, I can't talk to you about it. And that's when my commander told me that uh, he had received a call from the Air Force Office, Office of Special Investigations overnight while I was on rest break downstairs. And uh, he was told that we were never to talk about this situation. Did he, say any, did he say anything more about that? Uh, was it just that, that sort of a word? Don't talk about it. It was just a telephone call from the OSI, and my commander just relayed the information to me. And when he said, well, I, in fact, I asked him, well, who called? And he said the OSI. And when, I, when he said that, I knew that. <laughs> like, I was done talking about it. But there was never, you were never involved in any sort of debriefing from that point on. There was no debriefing whatsoever, and that really upset us, because we knew how serious this incident was, and uh, we couldn't help but think that this would happen to some other crew, and we need to be, you know, instructed and trained what to do if this kind of incident should happen again, and, and it was really, really bothered us quite a bit. By the time you got bothered, bothered me. By the time you got to work this morning, that morning, every every um, the missiles were all back online. No, no. When we walked into the launch control capsule underground, uh, we looked at the launch control console at the far end of the room, and uh, all the all the lights indicated that all missiles were down and off alert and unlaunchable. How long did that persist? You know, I really don't remember. I think, I, I think maybe one or two missiles may have come up that day while we were there, but I'm, I'm fairly certain that it probably took several days for all the missiles to come back. They sent, they had to send maintenance teams to all every, uh, all ten launch facilities to to bring the missiles back. And uh, there's there's quite a procedure involved with doing that. We had we down the capsule had to do uh, uh, calibration tests and all kinds of things to, to bring them up. In, in coordination with the main teams out in the field. So, um, did you ever interact with the people who were fixing the missiles, trying to bring them back online? Uh, only when they re- would request us to do a, a certain uh, a test, uh, communications test with our missiles uh, and calibration tests. Did it give you any hint about what had caused them to go offline? I'm quite certain most of the maintenance people had no idea um, about even the instant that occurred, uh, unless they talked amongst themselves. But um, I'm pretty sure that they were told to shut up if they 
if in fact they knew anything. Okay, well, we're going to have to break away here, which I hate to do, but uh, it's required by everybody, I suppose. Um, the blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And take a look at xzbn.net. Uh, there's a whole listing of fine programs that uh, talk about the paranormal and other subjects of great interest. And I'm sure there will be something there that would interest you as well. I uh, continue to push Roswell in the 21st century. This is, I think, the book that kind of lays out where we are in the Roswell case basically today. Uh, a re-examination uh, re of the Roswell case based on... Uh, what I have been able to learn in the last uh, several years. And of course, Encounter in the Desert, which is about the Lani Zamora sighting, the landing outside of Socorro, New Mexico back in 1964. And uh, additional information about that case that makes it a little bit more interesting because we find out it wasn't single witness. There were additional witnesses and additional things going on. We will be back here uh, talking a little bit more about the um, problems with the missiles. Maybe find out if uh, David knows about other instances where missiles were affected or the launch facilities were affected by UFOs. We will be back right after this, so please stick around. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com, or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Xzone Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, always remember Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Join Patty Conklin and Healing Within Radio each week. More than entertainment, Healing Within offers educational, useful tools for everyday life. Listen for help overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression. Patty knows about eliminating cancer, MS, dementia, Parkinson's, and a host of illnesses that we face every day. Life can be good. Life is good. All you need are simple tools to start changing your life. Start right now by visiting pattyconklin.com. P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. No matter where you are in the world, you can work with Patty through Skype, phone, or in person visiting one of her retreats in Georgia. Visit pattyconklin.com today or call our offices at 404-474-0086. That's pattyconklin.com or call 404-474-0086. 
Coming soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. Guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. by David Shinley. We're talking about missiles and UFOs and uh, national security, actually, because it, it is a national security issue. Um, so you never found out what caused the missiles there at Minot to go offline? No, I didn't. Never, never knew. And they were offline for several days? Well, like I said, I, I can't remember how long it took. My feeling is maybe a couple of them came up uh, the day we were there on duty, but uh, I, I don't know when the final missile came back to alert. It may have been a day or two. And do you have any knowledge of any of the other missile launch facilities having a similar problem at that time? I never knew of any other incident. Uh, us missileers, uh, our mouths were zipped and... Uh, we didn't talk to each other. We didn't know. But in, in my later years, we have had Air Force reunions, and I've met several people and talked to many people, in fact, who have had instances. Uh, when The only other thing that I can recall is that on December 6, 1966, there was a headline in the Minot Daily News about, launch, uh, about uh, saucers sighted uh, next to launch facilities. And that was a really interesting headline. And it had come from, evidently, Minot Daily News got advanced word from the Saturday Evening Post. The Saturday Evening Post had a big article on December 17, 1966, and it was written by uh, Alan Hynek. And that article was something else. And he mentioned in that article not only... Uh, about an incident, another incident at a launch facility called Mike Flight, uh, but also another incident uh, by Border Patrolman Don Flickinger. Uh, Don's happened on August 19, 1966, and uh, the incident at Mike Flight happened on uh, August August 25, 1966. And like I mentioned before, I believe mine happened in September later on. But the one at Mike Flight, uh, the, uh, the crew commander there was uh, named Val Smith. I knew Val Smith. And it just happened that uh, Hynek wrote about that instance in the Saturday Evening Post. But he didn't mention, uh, Val, didn't mention Val Smith's name. And later on, I found uh, Val Smith's name in uh, Blue Book Files. And I thought, oh, my goodness. And I knew this guy. He was in my squadron. And uh, he never said a word. 
Neither oh. did several other people until uh, uh, 40, 50 years later, I found out. Well, you mentioned mentioned Don Flickinger. Who exactly was Don Flickinger? Don Flickinger was a border patrolman, and he was on his way from Minot to Portal, North Dakota, with two prisoners. He's taking them back to Canada, and he had an incident near Donnybrook, uh, a little, little tiny town in, in North Dakota, where they were on their way down the highway and saw this uh, a disc, disc uh, hovering just above a, a hill. And then uh, uh, as they they coming down the road, they saw uh, about 10, 12 cars parked beside the road, including a semi-truck, and they were all outside looking at this thing at the top of the hill. And uh, <laughs> that's quite an incident in itself. He said that that object finally came down the hill and hovered over them, about 100 feet above them, uh, going back and forth above people and cars, and then all of a sudden, just within a second or two, shot up straight up out of the, into the clouds and out of sight. So that was his story. And but did you, yeah, he, go ahead. Did you talk to Flickinger, or, or are you getting this from uh, Hynek? I read this, the thing in the Saturday Evening Post Okay. From that Hynek wrote, and then uh, in 2016, I did some research, and I found Don Flickinger. I found him residing in a town in uh, in Montana, and I arranged to my wife and I arranged to meet him for uh, at a restaurant for dinner one evening, and uh, I I got his story repeated back to me again. So after you heard some it, 50, after some 50 years. You heard it directly from Flickinger then. Yes. Did he mention anybody taking a shot at um, an alien? No. Okay. So it was just a sighting of the craft and at close close at hand, and then uh, a, a number of other people in other cars seeing it. That's right. Yep. And uh, later on in Blue Book Files, Heineck tells that he went back to Minot and uh, and interviewed Flickinger, and and Heineck was also with uh, Robert Lowe. You might have heard his name before. He was with the uh, Condon Committee, which yes, was the he was. University and of Colorado both, study. They both walked up to the top of the hill where everybody had seen that, that UFO, saw indentations in the ground where this object had rested, um, and... Uh, Took Heineck took pictures and all that stuff is in Blue Book Files. So, uh, but getting back to the, I guess, the missile aspect of it, because that's an interesting story, but getting back to the missile aspect of it. Right. Uh, you've talked to other missileers who have had similar events, uh, besides Robert Salas. You've talked to other missileers who have had that sort of thing. I mean, the missiles going offline and UFO sightings. At the same time, you've talked to others that have had that experience? Yes. Um, I mentioned that we, we've had periodic missile air reunions. I didn't know about these reunions uh, until uh, a guy by, by the name of Dave Schur gave me a call uh, one day. This was in 2010, early 2010. And he invited me to a missile air reunion. And I didn't know these, like I said, I didn't know these reunions existed. And, there's going to be a reunion in, in, in the next September of 2010. 
and he invited me to come to that. And uh, I turned him down. And uh, then the next next year, he, he called me uh, again, 2011, and invited me to another one. And uh, I said, no, I don't think so. I wouldn't know anybody. Um, then I decided I'd ask him. I said, do you recall anything about UFOs at Minot when you were there? <laughs> he later emailed me. He said, surprise, you, sh- you should ask because I did, he said he did have an instant, and then he described that instant to me. And then uh, later on, I heard about another Miss Larry, Larry Manross, who was in my squadron, and he also had an incident. So um, and then I, I was cruising the Internet and, and trying to find other people that might have been involved in incidents, and I found an airman, uh, Wilbert, Wilbert Gunther, uh, who was an old uh, uh, security guard. At, in fact, he was a security guard at, at uh, November flight uh, just before I was there. And he was on the radio listening to communications from the Oscar uh, flight and listening to guards uh, investigating Oscar 7, where uh, there was a UFO hovering over the site, and these guards were just wild with uh, um, talk about this thing that they're observing. So, and since then, I've I've talked to another missile air uh, airman who was a guard at, uh, at I forget one of the Alpha or Bravo flights, and, uh, uh, and I think it was in '68. And uh, this guy happened to work for the State Department. Uh, and I talked to him for a while, and he says, I wish I could tell you more, but he was very reluctant to talk, except he did see a, a UFO hovering over a, a missile launch facility silo. So I've run into a number of people now, airmen, so who've had experiences. These sorts of things weren't uncommon. These sorts Evidently of not. We cer- and- certainly didn't know it at the time, but... Um, do they see and and the were um, at the same time that missile systems went offline? Did they mention that, or did you get that deep into the conversation? Well, when those guards were out there observing uh, those UFOs hovering over those sites, so that they must have got word uh, to go investigate. Uh, you know, they were a strike team investigating the uh, outer inner zone alarms. So. They had been notified, probably by you know a security alarm that to go out there. Well, yeah, the security alarm goes off, and they they required to do that. But what I'm wondering is, were there many instances where the missiles went offline at the same time the UFOs were? I mean, did they talk about that sort of thing? The the missiles going offline at the same time the UFOs were being observed. I I never heard that. Uh, I heard about maybe a missile going going off alert and then coming back on alert suddenly, uh, at the same time, they get a, get a security alarm and a strike team go out there and sight a UFO in the vicinity. But I never heard of all missiles going off at the same time like, like happened to us. Uh, until later when Robert Salas approached you? Yeah. When later, you know, 35, 40 years later when I heard about Robert Salas's story. Okay. We're going to have to take our last break here. Sorry to do it, but we, mu- we must do it. 
We're talking about uh, UFOs, we're talking about missiles, and we're talking about national security, actually. If the uh, missiles are taken offline by some outside influence, that, of course, is a, a problem of national security, which changes the whole concept or the whole conversation about what's going on. The book is UFOs, It Never Happened, Volume 1, U.S. Air Force UFO Cover-Up Revealed. And as I've said many times, and we'll say again, the profits for the book go to Air Force Charities. We will be back right after this, so please stick around. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today.
Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. Did you expect your business to flourish, but instead it plateaued or didn't get off the ground yet? Would you like to achieve massive goals and discover new sources of income within your business? When you're ready to experience that type of success with fast results, Cindy Hendricks is the business coach for you. Her work with entrepreneurs and business owners has been life-changing. To get you and your business where you want to be, go to imaginemoresuccess.com. Has the fear of public speaking stalled your business or personal life? What would you give to develop and maintain supreme confidence? Have an invaluable private program to always perform at your best. I am joined by David Chindley. We're talking about uh, missiles and UFOs and UFO sightings around. Life-changing course. I guess uh, highly unleashed classified areas in the United States Air Force, uh, especially from from a long time ago. And we've suggested a couple of times. Uh, this is an issue of national security. And the reason I stress that point is the Condon Committee, which was the University of Colorado study commissioned by the Air Force, one of the things they were required to find was that UFOs presented no threat to the national security. And what we're hearing today from David is that they, in fact, do uh, or did pose a threat to national security if they can force the missiles offline. That's why I've kind of stressed some of this stuff and finding out how often this has happened. Um, we know that at um, Malmstrom Air Force Base, about a year later, several months later, a similar incident happened where all the missiles from one flight went offline. And the Air Force never provided a good explanation for how that had happened. And uh, what they did say in their reports was that there had been uh, no UFO sighting. UFOs had nothing to do with it. They were very careful on stressing that point. Um, And David tells us that in this instance, uh, the Air Force Office of Special Investigation required them not to talk about it. Has there been any fallout for you uh, about talking about these things? Has anybody approached you and saying maybe you ought to not be quite so vocal about it? Uh, none whatsoever. I had a lot of trepidation uh, early on in uh, coming out and talking about this stuff because I had been told not to talk, and uh, I took that very very seriously. Um, but when I found out that uh, Salas had come out, I found out that Dave Schur had come out, was in the Hastings book, um, um, I decided, well, maybe I should start speaking out. Um, in fact, when I heard that Salas had the very same identical incident, I just couldn't believe it. I just, and then I was so relieved. I thought, oh my God, I'm, now I can now I can tell my wife. <laughs> did did so. um, did you ever look to see if there was any documentation? I know in at Maelstrom there is a notation in the various. Histories, unit histories, or logbooks that says specifically there was no UFO involved. I mean, that 
issue is addressed. Uh, did you ever take a look for any sort of documentation like that? I've, I've tried to look, but I haven't been able to find anything. And I've had uh, other researchers uh, trying to, uh, to find out also, but nobody's been able to find out anything. Now, there was, like I said, there was this newscast that residents of Mohol, North Dakota, saw lights overnight. Um, that, that TV station, I, I would think, might have, a, well, maybe not, <laughs> a recording from, from that time. Um, well, my experience that with that, my, my experience was that. I, I knew a guy named uh, Johnny Mann, and he had interviewed a bunch of witnesses for UFO sightings, including uh, Calvin and um, Calvin and Parker and um, Hickson about their experience. They'd been in, in, interviewed uh, Jesse Marcel Sr. about the, the Roswell case and all that sort of thing. And I was talking to him about that. He had kept all the raw footage for the Calvin, Parker, and uh, Hickson interviews, but he had uh, erased everything that had to do with the other aspects of it because he thought the Parker Hickson abduction was the important sighting. So he's, he was telling me he kicked himself uh, for, for getting rid of the Marcel interviews. So I'm, yeah. my, my point is that the TV stations probably or may have used to reuse the tapes. I don't know what kind of library they would keep on that sort of stuff. I was just wondering if anything showed up in the unit histories, if you'd looked for a unit history that might have something or any documentation at the base. Actually, if you're familiar with uh, James Klotz, yes, um, he lives not far from me, and he and I have met a few times, and so I've, you know, he knows my story, and he's he's looked into this too, and he's an excellent researcher in getting documents and stuff, but he hasn't been able to find anything either. And part of that problem, I think, is not having the exact date of my incident. That would really help. Well, you talked about an air, aircraft accident might have been UFO related. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, uh, this was an F one hundred six that went down in uh, the territory of Mike Flight, where Mike Flight had a responsibility for. F one hundred six went down one evening, about one in the morning, and this was October twelfth, and. Uh, the pilot was the uh, squadron commander of the, the fighter squadron on base. And uh, evidently he was on approach to Monad Air Force Base, and uh, uh, he just disappeared from radar. And uh, there was no, no uh, communication with him whatsoever. And the, that morning, uh, when we got relieved, my commander and I, we... Uh, uh, detoured going to the base to to where this uh, wreck wreck was, and we found this plane sitting in a in a plowed field, and it had made a very soft wheels up landing, uh, uh, and it skidded for a long ways, but just left a long trail. And, but the plane was intact, except the nose was cracked just in front of the cockpit and hanging to the ground. Uh, we found out later that uh, the pilot didn't survive. And, uh, but I'll, I'll never forget uh, that particular incident because I, I did mention to my commander, Major Tollerud, that uh, I wonder if a UFO had something to do with this plane going down. And I felt guilty about speaking did, up about that. Did, 
did you did anybody determine what caused the wreck? No, and it's still a mystery. So he just landed the airplane in the field and there didn't was no survive. communication from him or anything on, on approach, and uh, they disappeared from radar. And they and we had to send our strike teams out, our security people out to find the plane, which they did. But but there's no. I guess, observable UFO involved in this at all. You just kind of wondered it because of the proximity. Yeah, it just piqued my interest a little bit. <laughs> I wonder if something happened in that regard. Uh, okay. Um, I might you, mention that, that yes. the crew that we relieved, it was a crew that I had never seen before. I didn't know them. Evidently, they were from another squad. We had three squadrons in our wing. And we usually didn't interface or know people in the other two squadrons that we had. Uh, maybe a few people we'd know, but we didn't know this this crew that we relieved, Major Tollerud and I. Um, and I always wondered who this guy, who th these guys were. Well, I finally found out who the crew commander was, and he's he's still living. And I met him at a re Air Force reunion, and. Uh, I happened to hold a reunion in 2014 here in near Seattle, Washington, and uh, and I, I did a presentation one evening, and I asked people, does anybody remember anything about UFOs at Minot? And seven people raised their hands, and I said, okay, did anybody? How many of you had an instant on duty when you were there? Three people raised their hand, so I asked these three people what what happened two of them said they had security alarms and sent a strike team out and there was a UFO hovering over a, a missile site the other guy said well 10 of my missiles went off alert well I know who this guy is and he's the guy that that I relieved he's the crew commander he's still living but he confided to me at another reunion he says I, I sorry Dave but I can't tell you anything more about this. I, you got. He said you got to understand that when I returned to base, I, I had to sign a document saying I would never speak again. So I never had to talk, sign a document myself. I, you know, I just got that phone call from the OSI. But he had to sign a document saying that he'd forever uh, keep his lips zipped. Uh, yeah, we've heard that on a number of occasions that people have had a special. Request so I know who this guy is, but he's got enough trepidation about this that he he, he won't. But I, uh, you know, I, I understand that. I mean, as a former military officer myself, I understand that sometimes there are things you just don't talk about. And uh, in talking to a guy named uh, Edwin Easley, who was involved in the Roswell case, right. he was very reticent to talk about the events. He would give me all kinds of other information, but it would always come back to, well, I'm sorry, I can't talk about that. I promised I wouldn't mention anything about it. So I, I completely understand that. Well, yeah, listen, I've, it's I've been... Got him in... Go ahead. I've got him in my book. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I... Go ahead. Well, we're going to have to break it off here. I thank you. Thank you for taking time to chat with me today. Uh, the book is UFOs It Never Happened, Volume 1, U.S. Air Force Cover-Up Revealed. I guess it's available at Amazon and all of those sorts of places. Yes, and it does, does just not my incident, it has uh, about Roswell. It has on Project Sign and Project Grudge. It has a, 
I did six and a half years of research on this stuff, and there's a lot of details that you may not even know about. <laughs> there's a <laughs> well, tease for you. I have a complete set of the Project Blue Book files, so I'm well oh, informed on microfilm, by the way. Well, thank you yeah. very much. Appreciate your time uh, here. As I say, periodically, repeatedly, uh, the, the blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I'll have a, a little bit more information up there and some links to other stories that may be of uh, interest to you if you're following the missileers and the problems with UFOs at missile sites. Uh, Roswell in the 21st century is available at Amazon, as they say. It's uh, a, a good look at everything that's happened. We will be back uh, with another show here in 167 hours. So please look for us again. Thanks for listening. <laughs>